news, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here, Lauren joining me as always. And yes, if you are listening, you are listening on a Tuesday morning or afternoon, which means we have a guest, ladies and gentlemen. Today, it is Portland Trailblazers talk. All Portland Trailblazers conversation. No more Damian Lillard. Scoot Henderson is in the building. No, we don't have Scoot Henderson. Uh, but but just as good, just as good as Scoot Henderson, uh, Sean Hyken, who uh, obviously, if you don't already, you should subscribe to the Rose Garden Report newsletter. I am subscribed because I was all over the Damian Lillard sweepstakes this summer. Uh, but yes, of course, a cover of the Portland Trailblazers as well uh sean how you doing i'm doing good thanks for having me on guys of course of course yeah um obviously we we sort of do this every week with uh a a beat writer beat reporter just kind of covering what team uh we have and this week it's the portland trailblazers um overall i guess i think just to open things up what would you say is the vibes of the organization right now they're standing at six and nineteen they're frisky in some games. They've got a lot of young, interesting pieces, some older pieces that may be available in trade. We'll get into that later. But um, yeah, just overall, how are the how, how are the vibes around the organization? Uh good for what their record is, I would say. Okay. Like if you look at if you look around at some of the other teams that are kind of in their position record-wise, or like teams that came into the other teams that you kind of came into the season knowing we're going to be in the lottery. Like yeah. when you look at what's going on in Detroit now, where they literally haven't won a game in six, not even comparable. At, yeah. Right. Or you look at what's going on in Washington where they're like, not like barely an NBA team or yeah. even like San Antonio as much as like, yeah, they have Wemby. So long-term they're going to be pro- be fine probably. But like, that's, that's also like, they just had an 18 game losing streak. I think organizationally, obviously, like, the guys and Chauncey are not happy about, you know, they've lost seven games in a row, and a lot of the games that they've lost are games where you look at them and say they easily could have won those games. But organizationally, from people I've talked to, I think everybody is happy with where things are at in terms of the development of the guys whose development are important and, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the strides that guys are making and just kind of overall where everything is at. There's nothing that anybody is really looking at and saying, Oh, this is a, this is a disaster. We have to do something about this. I think everybody kind of came into this one, you know, once the Dame trade happened, I think everybody kind of came into the season knowing what it was going to be and knowing that their record was going to be what their record was going to be. And, what what they were looking at was, you know, are guys getting better? Are guys buying in? Are, you know, are, are you seeing tangible progress? And I think if you talk to people in the organization so far, the answer to that would be yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's interesting. So you brought up Chauncey Billups and I feel like I have to, I have to start there with my first question. Where are you at with long-term? Like, how do you feel about Chauncey? How do you feel the guys like react to Chauncey. I've seen some clips on Twitter of maybe some not so great things with DeAndre Ayton. Is there anything to that? Or is Chauncey Billups, are you confident that Chauncey Billups is with this group for the foreseeable future? I have not heard anything that would suggest that they're going to make any kind of a change anytime soon. He has 
another year left on his well so he signed a five-year deal i believe the fifth year is a team option so he has at least one hard year left on the deal i haven't heard anything in the short term that would suggest that he isn't seeing the end of that deal as 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 of right now they're happy with it and honestly like he this year i mean we've talked about and i'm sure we're going to get into some of this more but like they've been in a lot of these games guys are playing Mm -hmm. hard guys are buying in got you know he has a way and the the deandre ayton stuff i would imagine we'll probably get into i don't think that's a him and chauncey situation as much as i think that's just kind of they're still figuring each other out but to answer your question, I think they like, and I think, and I think a big part of this also is that the last two years, which are, so this is his third year on the job. The first two years, not only was there just so much organizational chaos, like the, you know, the, the his first year, you know, Neil Olshay, the general manager gets fired in December right. and then they shut Dame down for the ab surgery and trade everybody at the deadline and then you know there's all there's all there's all this chaos going on and really the last two years he hasn't had a roster that like because his whole thing is like i'm a defensive-minded coach i'm a you know i i have a certain way that i want to play and until this year he hasn't had the personnel to be able to do that this year and i wrote this on media day that basically he's kind of the face now that dame's gone he's Chauncey Billups is kind of the face of the franchise for better or worse. And as, as far as like, uh, you know, what the, what the roster looks like, there's only one player left on the team. There's been so much turnover over the last couple of years. There's only one player left on the team that a was ever drafted by Neil Olshay and that, or B ever played for Terry Stotts. And that's Anthony Simons. Everybody else was Mm -hmm. handpicked by this front office for this coach. And so, essentially what I wrote at, you know, on media day at the start of camp was now that he has the guys that he wants or the types of players that he likes. And if, if, if this doesn't work, if they don't see the kind of progress that they need to see, then it's on him. And to his right. credit so far, I think, you know, you're seeing guys buy in, you're seeing right. guys respond well to him. You're seeing like, you're not like, I haven't felt like, Oh, he's lost the locker room or guys aren't listening right. to him or guys aren't like, do I think he's like the greatest coach in the history of, you know, <laughs> basketball? No, but do I right. think he, do I think he's actively bad or actively holding anything back at, the, at this point? I would say also no. Right. Okay. It, it's funny you say that because uh, the turmoil, right? Uh, the fact that he has survived all of that kind of gives you a, a, a sense of how much one, they trust him uh, to kind of lead whatever group this is in the next couple of years. And two, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's made it this far. Uh, well, and I think part of that you mentioned. Well, well yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I think well. <laughs> I think I think a part of it is also just that. I mean, there there was there was a little bit of a power vacuum that kind of opened up when Neil Olshay got right. fired. And, you know, somebody kind of had to step into it. So, yeah, I think you that, mentioned, I think that's um, I think that's part of it. But then all but also like, I don't know if either of you have ever dealt with with Chauncey like have you ever have any of you either of you ever met him or talked to him not yet actually not yet hopefully he's very he's very easy to talk to and he has a way of like drawing people in and kind of meeting people like his like the interpersonal stuff with him is like I've I've really enjoyed on a personal level talking to him and getting to know him and he has a certain you know maybe because of the way his you know his playing career and you know what his reputation was as a player he has a way of speaking that 
people listen to and people, you know, people respect. And, you know, and he's been very, he's been very, honestly, I found him to be very over the last couple of years when they were, you know, losing when they were supposed to be winning, unlike this year. That's the, that's kind of the other difference between this year is, like I said earlier, everybody came into the season knowing exactly what this was going to be as far as wins and losses. Whereas the last couple of years when they still had Dame, people came into the season expecting that it was going to be a playoff team and that, right. you know, and then when it didn't go that way, there was a lot more of like, hey, what's going on here? But <clears throat> I think that he just, I don't know, he had, he has a way of, of talking in a way of like explaining stuff and also just a way of like during the last couple of years when he's been kind of figuring out how to be a head coach for the first time, I've found him to be very almost to a fault and almost to a point where it hurt him at times, very honest and introspective about like, right. you know, this was, this is on me. This is something I'm still learning. And I think that's something that a lot of people, I, you know, I think, I think respect now, again, am I saying that he's like the greatest coach of all time? No, I'm not. But Right. I think they I think the organization right now is comfortable with where things are at. Now could that change if something disastrous happens or if they go on like a 20 game losing streak? It could, but I, as as of right now I think the people whose opinions matter about this stuff are happy with where things are. And where everybody else wants to land on that, I I I don't know, but but the 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 important stakeholders are 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 happy with the coaching situation right now. Right. I know you mentioned, uh, you know, the defense and, and the fact that Chauncey, you know, he kind of prides himself on being a defensive minded coach. That's sort of been what's been so surprising this year. I believe they're now 19th on defense. Yeah, 19th in defensive rating. Um, and I think I'm kind of just interested from your perspective, how are they succeeding on that end? And I mean, how much of it is Tamani Kamara? Because that's all, that's all I've seen yeah. on my end. It's like Tamani has just been amazing as this point of attack perimeter defender for you guys. I know that's not all of it, but how are they succeeding on that end defensively? Well, Tamani Kamara is part of it. I think of I think a full year of Matisse Thibel is part of it. I don't know how much you've watched True. Matisse Thibel, but yeah. that he is he is absolutely just he is he is a he is a he's 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 so annoying. I say that in like the nicest <laughs> way possible. He's he's just one of the yeah. he, he's one of the most annoying guys to for other teams to play against. He's like, it, it was, it was funny. He had this play last night where he almost like, like he, he like intercepted a pass like behind his back. Like, it's like a, he has like a mm-hmm. way of, of getting steals that I have like never seen anybody get before. It, it's, it's the just, volleyball player, man. It's the right, volleyball player. In he's it. just, yeah. it's, it's insane. Now, I'm looking at, I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. And yeah, they're 20th in the league in defense, which when you consider, I mean, that's not great, but like when you consider, they were bottom five in the league each of the last four years. That's still a pretty considerable improvement. Improvement, and part mm-hmm. of it, I think, is the personnel. And like, yeah, Tumani Kamara has been great on that end. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, DeAndre Ayton has been, I think, mostly pretty good on that end. Uh, it's you know, Jeremy Grant's a solid defender. Like they, like I think the yeah. fact that like now they have personnel as opposed to you know the last several years honestly even scoot who i'm sure we're gonna get to like he still fouls too much because he's a rookie but he competes on that and he's not you know all the criticisms that there were of damian lillard as a defender you know scoot i think is you know athletically more you know able and you know you know capable of of you know doing something on that end and you know he's kind of still learning how to how to do that effectively but I think the personnel is just is just more suited to being a good defensive team than I think the last couple of years have been. 
Yeah, he's yeah. Fi- he's fighting over screens more consistently. That's the thing I've seen with Scoot is like he's not going to give up on a play or mm-hmm. like die on a screen. He's going to try to like whatever it kind of requires from that possession defensively. Sorry, Lauren. Go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 no. I think it, their backcourt is so fascinating to me. I want to touch on another angle of their backcourt in Shaden Sharp. He's yeah. you know taking steps forward as a playmaker, as a scorer this year. Kind of a, a few maybe part question here, but. How much do you attribute that to him him individually, the scheme as a whole, the fact that they've got three really intriguing guards, and where do you what do you think his steps forward are? Well, you're kind of seeing just as the people that they have available change, right. you see his role also kind of starting to evolve. Cause like mm-hmm. the first month of the season, you're you're like, oh my god, he's like, he's making a leap. He's <laughs> going to be a future all star. And then there was that couple of weeks where him and Malcolm Brogdon, or where Scoot and Brogdon and Anthony Simons were all out, and basically their only playable point guard was Skylar Mays, who you know he's he's hey, he's pretty like good. A, he's yeah, he's fine as like a break glass of in case of emergency point yeah point guard. But like if he needs to be playing thirty five minutes a game like that, like that that those those uh. Those couple of weeks were a pretty rough watch, but when you have Shaden out there, and like there was that couple week stretch where he was leading the league in minutes played, and he was having to do a whole lot, and that was when he struggled. And then, shockingly, once Scoot and Brogdon came back from their injuries, Shaden started looking a lot more comfortable. And now, like the last couple of games, Anthony Simons has been back, and now it's it, it's been it's just it's been a big adjustment of like now Shaden is having to fit into a kind of another new mm-hmm. role playing with a new guy that he hasn't played with in that way in, in, in a whole lot of, of situations. And so like the last couple of games, he's struggled a little bit shooting, but I mean, it's been, it's been a little bit up and down with him, but I think, I think they very much view him as a, as a guy. He's, he's one of him and him and Scoot, I think are the two core guys. Right. I think that they're, yeah. that they're looking at. Really I think it's, at. It's funny when you talk about Sharp, by the way, fellow Canadian here, so I'm always going to yeah. stand. And, you know, yeah. yeah. But um, I, I, it, the interesting thing about guards and throwing them into adverse situations is how they're able to adapt and kind of work through the kinks of their own game. Um, Sharp through last year, through this year, has kind of been thrown, in, like you said, in a bunch of different roles, being asked mm-hmm. to play a bunch of different ways. And I think that sort of helps a guy like him figure out what he's going to be eventually long term. Uh, the playmaking, I think, is an area that still has to grow, but he's shown a little bit more poise at getting downhill. Like there was that there was that offensive foul last night late in the game. But for the oh, most part, Brian. he's yeah, he's making better decisions when he's going downhill. Uh, and I think that's that's important overall to his game. I guess, you know, you mentioned it towards the end between, you know, Anthony, Scoot and, and Shaden. But like, what is the feasibility of that as a core long term for you, that that trio of guards, if you will? I think size wise, just because all three of them aren't six foot three, <laughs> like it's a little <laughs> bit more viable than some of the other stuff that they've tried over the years with. Yeah. With other guys, I think Shaden has more of the type of size where he could move to the three in some lineups. I don't think they see yeah. him there. He was playing three last night, right? Next to yeah. next to Brogdon and Simons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in some lineups. And that's that's something they're also figuring out because that's also and I think I think physically Shaden has the ability to be a good defender. It's just, you know, he's a young guy. He's still kind of being figuring out yeah. how to be consistent on that end. But he competes on that end. He has, you know, he has the frame for it. It's just a matter of, of filling all of that out. 
But right, I think this yeah. year he's at least offensively, he's last year, you know, you'd see the crazy dunks and you'd see the highlights and <laughs> that's kind of what you would see from him. But this year, I think he's, you know, he's become a lot more efficient. He's taken, he started taking better shots. He started, uh, you know, as you said, the playmaking, I think has made some steps. It's still not all the way there, but I think there, you know, I think there's progress being made there. I think, I think, I think he's, I think he's going a long way towards eventually being a very, very good player. Right. Yeah, um, I mean, I hope I hope he's a part of Team Canada's roster this summer. He I don't know if he's to. commented. On, yeah, I, I he said he I think, he asked him at media day. He said he wants to. I don't know whether that's going to happen because I think and you would know more about this than I would. But uh, I think they like to have guys that are like already in the program and in the yeah. system. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. hasn't well, been. It's but, just like a it, it's like a numbers game too. There's 12 roster spots, yeah, and yeah. it starts to get tough to kind of right. sort out those final spots yeah well i don't i don't know the inner workings of the canadian yeah. national basketball program <laughs> but he has he has said on the record that he wants to play for team canada so i think long term he is yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think long term he, gotta, he will be but i don't know about to. this he said he wants to yeah. so whatever for whatever that's worth yeah 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 so kind of looking at another key piece of this this core and this post damian lillard era is is deandre ayton averaging 12 yeah. and 10 this year um but there are moments that maybe don't look so great on on both ends. Uh, what is kind of the read within the organization on DA? And you kind of mentioned, you were kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but also like where's the, the long-term fit even with Rob Williams and, and Jeremy Grant still there? What is the overall picture on DA and, and what to expect from him long-term as being the franchise center? You know, everybody's still kind of feeling out the DeAndre Ayton thing and it's, there have been, it, it's definitely been, you know, there, there have been, there have been a, like in the, in the, uh, the Mavericks game the other night, uh, he, you know, there, you know, he gets, he gets subbed out and he's like, you know, he like slams a, you know, the, the cushion on the seat as he's like going back to the bench. And it's, it's like, there are times, like there are times where like he's getting frustrated or like the coaching staff is getting frustrated with him. But I think overall, and everybody's still kind of feeling it out, but I think overall it's been more positive than negative. And especially when you consider a lot of the stuff that you kind of heard about him coming out of Phoenix and the way that that ended, you know, that, that whole thing didn't work out. And by the way, whatever's going on with Jade and Ivy in Detroit is starting to make me wonder if maybe whatever happened between DA and Monty was maybe more because of one guy than the other. That's just that's a, a fair that point. I, that's yeah. just a thought that I've had. But uh, but honestly, like DeAndre Ayton, like he's having the he's had the lowest usage of his career so far. And so if anybody would have a reason to just be totally checked out and be frustrated and not buy into what's going on, it would be him. But so far, mm-hmm. you know. The body language has been good. He has never, you've never been out there and been like, oh, he's not playing hard. He's mailing it in. He's, he's engaged. Like he doesn't always make the right decisions, but he's never just out there just, you know, not trying or quitting or any of the stuff that was maybe talked about in Phoenix. Like, you know, his attitude has been good. He's said all the right things about understanding what everything is. Chauncey has talked about like, I need to be better about making sure he gets more looks. We, you know, we need to integrate him more. So it's, it's really just kind of a feeling out process. And I think there's a whole lot of like, they want to make things easy for him because of, you know, they feel like maybe he got a little bit of a raw deal organizationally in Phoenix. But then I think he also Mm -hmm. 
like has a like on the one hand like i think he's happy to just be anywhere else besides phoenix and so he's trying to make it work but also right. like i do think he i do th- i do think he would like it if they involved him more in the offense and i think they want to also but it's just again they're getting so many guys back for the first time like yeah, yeah. the game i mean rob, rob williams obviously is out for the season now but like the the last two games the dallas game and the golden state game when we're recording this have been the first two games since opening night that they've had all of their guys healthy. So it's really still a matter right. of like him and like him and Anthony Simons have now only played three games together, for example. Like it, it's just, there, there's, yeah. there's still, it's going to be so it's going to be a long time. And I think there's this, there's this idea and there certainly was among like fans that I've seen on Twitter or, you know, readers and subscribers or whatever that I've heard from that like, Oh, once they get all their guys back, it's just going to be smooth sailing. And it's like, well, no, I mean, we're two months <laughs> into the season, but most of these guys haven't played together since training camp because guys have been in and out and they've been hurt. So now it's going to be a whole nother process of like feeling out. But I would say overall, the DeAndre Ayton experiment has been, it hasn't been perfect, but I think it's been more positive than negative so far. I think um, part of involving DA more, and you mentioned it, uh, is obviously having Simons more healthy and Mm -hmm. obviously just being in the lineup, getting that pick and roll connection with him more. I think Brogdon has been pretty good in involving DA more, uh, kind of getting him going in the short roll area. Uh, At least I know from the Raptors game earlier this month, Brogdon and DA just absolutely carved up the Raptors. Um, And then I think, you know, another part of that is is Scoot Henderson and how Scoot is going to be kind of working alongside DA. He's obviously a massive part of this rebuild in general. And while he did get off to, you know, a slow start, we sort of talked about it off air, but last two weeks have been really, really good. 17 points, five assists. He's knocking down a couple of threes a game. I sort of joked with you off air asking if it was about the goggles, but just in general, (laughs) like what have you seen from him over the last couple of weeks that I guess has, has looked better uh, and getting him in rhythm. Well, last night against the Warriors, I don't think it's his best. His, his statistically, his best game was the other night against Utah, but most of that was in garbage time. So I'm yeah. not. There's only so much you're really drawing from that. Last night, I think, was his best game from start to finish of his career, and that's right. because both both of his shifts. Usually, I mean, he stayed in kind of at, at at the end last night because he was playing well. But usually, you know, he'll play a shift in the first half, and then he'll play a shift in the second half, and they'll close with the starters. But I think coming off the bench has been good for him. I don't think that's obviously a permanent thing because, mm-hmm. like, they didn't draft him number three overall to not start long term. But I think yeah. for the foreseeable future, maybe even for the rest of this season, he's probably going to be coming off the bench. And I think that's probably going to be good for him because, you know, they threw him out there as a starter at the beginning of the season before the ankle injury, and that did not go well he was clearly not ready for it yeah. but you're starting to see him make better decisions you're starting to see like I said earlier when we were talking about the defense he's starting like he only had two fouls last night and I think that's maybe the most encouraging thing out of all of it is that like he's starting to learn how to pick his spots as far as like going for steals because you know as a as a rookie you're gonna get called for some of that stuff that maybe you're not gonna get called when you have a few years in the league and you get a little bit more of a friendly whistle so he's still feeling out a lot of that stuff and I think the real big thing over the last few games has been that he started really trying to get downhill more and trying to get to the basket more you know you're now starting to see and Chauncey told us Mm -hmm. the other night that he had a conversation with Scoot where he said look 
you are this incredible athlete. I don't know if I've seen you dunk this season. Like, oh, I, you don't right. look athletic. And Scoot was like, well, wait a minute. That's not what I am. And, and but, but he's right. <laughs> but he's right. Like, he was like, no, he was yeah. right. I, I, and so now he's made more of a concerted effort. And I think a lot, I mean, a lot of this is like, you know, a lot of his rookie stuff, a lot of it is confidence, a lot of it is, you know, especially because, yeah. you know, the first his first five games of the season really couldn't have gone much worse than they did before the ankle injury. And so it's like, I think he's starting to figure his figure stuff out. I think there, I think the organization is happy with the progress that he's made. He's, he's not all the way there yet. He's going to have some, like, like the Dallas game the other night, I think was a big example. He was awful in the first half and then he was really good in the second (laughs) half. So it's like, it's still, it's still, it's still a matter of kind of figuring all that out. But I, I think long-term he's going to be fine. And, you know, mentality wise and, you know, he's what he says and just kind of the way he approaches stuff. And, you know, you hear behind the scenes, like he puts in the work he's, he's, He's he he knows yeah. what he needs to get better at. I think I think long term he's going to be fine. Yeah, I think I think so, too. And and yeah. man, like you have to give guards at least two or three years, especially lead guards like a especially guy, especially 19 year old guards. Like, yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a exactly. kid. That's the, no, that's the not thing. Every... Like our, our buddy, uh, do you know, how old Ray? was Dane? How old was Dane? Dane was 22. Yes, Dane was I a four year college yeah. guy. I mean, he was, yeah, he was right. awesome as a, he was great right away as a right. rookie, but he was four years older than Scoot. And he, you know, was the best scorer in the country in college. Like he's, you know, it's a right. little bit of a different thing. Like you, I mean, you look at some of these guys, like you look at like, De'Aaron Fox was awful his rookie year. So was Darius Garland. Those were like among the worst players in the league their rookie <laughs> season. De'Aaron yeah. Fox was so bad his rookie year that in his second year, he was one of the top three vote getters for most improved player, which never happens. So, right. you know, the, yeah. I, I can only think of like a couple of guys who came into the league that young, like Derek, like Derek Rose comes to mind his rookie year or like Kyrie Irving. Like there's only a couple of guys. Lamelo was one that play that position and are that young when they come into the league and are good right away. So I think, and I get it because, you know, he was drafted third overall. He had this hype coming out of the G league for two years. He was quote unquote, the heir apparent to Dame. So there were these expectations that were placed on him right away. But when you just look at a, the position he plays and B just how physically, you know, challenging it is to adjust from one level to the next level at that age, like, it's it was never going to happen right away, but I think you're seeing tangible yeah. progress. If you look at where he is now versus where he is, where, where he was at the beginning of the season, and then you kind of extrapolate that out to where is he going to be around the All Star break, and then where is he going to be by the end of the season? I think I think he's on an okay trajectory as far as development. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, I yeah. I, I love Scoot. I'm so high on him, and I think that even just like the way he carries himself, you just he feels He's, like such a true pro. Even being he so has the young. juice. Whatever the uh, juice is, is like star. Like as far as like star <laughs> quality, all it. that stuff. He's he's he and he's also. I think the thing that I love the most about Scoot just and this is mm-hmm. yeah, this is just social media stuff. So it's whatever, but. He posts highlights on his Instagram story all the time. Like he's one of those guys where like when you open up his IG story, he always has like the little dots because he posts a ton. He posts highlights all the time. He never posts his own highlights. He always is like posting his teammates and his friends. Oh, wow. Like like he's posts like over the over the summer, Matisse Seibel and uh, Duop Reef, who's one of their centers on a two-way contract, were playing for the Australian mm-hmm. national team. And he was like posting their FIBA highlights right. and or like he was posting like Dyson Daniels' highlights <laughs> because they played that. together on the G League Ignite. Like he's I'm always like posting yeah. Okay. He's always like posting. He doesn't really. He's not like, and as much like, not that there's anything wrong with posting your own highlights, but 
the fact that he's always post like he was posting like shade and sharps like the other night when he crossed over uh who was it on the on the uh uh it was uh somebody on the clippers it was tice that 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 crossover oh yeah sharp hat he was like posting that with like the head exploding emojis (laughs) as opposed to like his own stuff like like that's the kind of that that's just the kind of little like i don't know how much that matters in the grand scheme of things but that's just like scoot is always scoot is more about hyping other guys on the team up than he is about like the look at me stuff that you would kind of expect from somebody who's had as much hype as he has yeah yeah, I think that that kind of stuff, I, personally, I think that that stuff is is hugely important because it's the type mm-hmm. of thing that, it almost reminds me of when Tyrese came into the league and when he was so young, it was like, you can see that he's really a true pro and has like, mm-hmm. is just l- in love with the work and like truly becoming great. And so having yeah. the guys, you know, that are really just locked into seemingly all the right things is, is something that's like s- invaluable in my opinion. Yeah. But I want to ask you kind of switch switch gears a little bit here and I want to ask about Malcolm Brogdon and his presence and kind of his just overall not just demeanor but how he leads some of the young guys with his veteran presence what are your thoughts on and what have you seen and heard uh, about how he has impacted just these young guys adjusting to the pace and learning the game and kind of evolving even so early on in their careers I think it's been hugely important and beneficial for them to have Malcolm Brogdon and honestly that's part of why they brought him in I think they I think they've kind of I think they kind of realized that even though they're going young and they're rebuilding you don't want to have your whole team be kids and not have any veterans on the team ask the Detroit Pistons that a the Detroit Pistons b I mean you saw what happened last year in Houston it was a disaster and then this year they go out and throw all that money at Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks because they're just like oh we need some adults (laughs) and so I think especially at the point guard position having somebody like Brogdon who, you know, once, uh, you know, when Simons got hurt, they were throwing Scoot and Shaden out there together. That was obviously that didn't go well. And then when Scoot got hurt, they put Brogdon in there and just having, he just had, there's a level of competence that's there on the floor when he's out there that you can't count on night to night when it's some of the younger guys with no safety net, which you kind of expect. And I think, I think they understand the importance of having a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. And I mean, to his credit, you know, he came from, you know, he won six man of the year last year and he was on a Celtics team that was, that almost made the finals. And, you know, he's, he came in and rather than just being like, Oh, I don't want to be here. He right away came in and said, look, uh, you know, I know why they brought me here. I think Scoot is a special talent. I'm, I, I, it's important to me to, shepherd him along and help him get adjusted to the NBA. And even, you know, when at the start of the season, Brogdon wasn't starting. And when we asked him about like what, how it felt to him, you know, to be coming off the bench behind a rookie, he was like, look, they view Scoot as the face of the franchise in the future. I think it's important for him to get those reps and to start. Like he's all another guy who's said all the right things and has been doing all the right things. And I know that he's a guy that like guys, you know, go to and look up to and, He's also very helpful to Chauncey. Yeah. Like Chauncey has talked about this before where he's like, you know, I'm a former player. I'm a point guard. I, you know, I can give guys certain advice about stuff, but it comes different from a teammate who is actually out there playing with you who can like, why do you think Udonis Haslam stuck around with the heat long past when he was a viable <laughs> NBA player? Because even if he was just, if he was just an assist, if he was an assistant coach, but just doing the exact same stuff, it's still a little bit of a different power dynamic when it's a coach versus a guy who's on the team who's also a player. Like guys, Absolutely. you know, are going to take guys yeah. more seriously when they're also a player. And so, 
the you know and as much as like you know i think there's a chance I mean, i'm sure we'll get to trade stuff but i think there's a chance that malcolm is moved either before the deadline or the summer because that's like the business of the league but they have really liked having him around yeah i i think i mean i would love to transition into trade stuff right now but i do have a final question before we get into that um okay the blazers they have uh, i mean they've they've kind of made some interesting like fringe pieces become or at least seem like legit NBA guys. Duop Reith, you mentioned Jabari Walker, I, I think is another again. guy where it's like, whoa, these guys. Oh, sorry. Um look, Start I, the I guess I'll I'll repeat it here. But okay. Um Blazers have had uh I think they've done a good job this year of finding these fringe guys and turning them into NBA pieces. I think guys who like legitimately could play in NBA rotations. You mentioned Duop Reith earlier. There's obviously Jabari Walker as well. I'm wondering how much of that has been since Mike Schmitz joined the team and how much better do you think the Blazers have been since Mike Schmitz has joined the team in terms of talent and prospect evaluation? Well, let me tell you this, uh, and this is something that Joe Cronin said in his, I think he kind of, I don't think he meant to reveal this, but he said this in his exit interview after his end of season press conference, after the fir- his first season, when he took over halfway through the season. But under the previous general manager, Neil Olshay, the Blazers as an organization had one international scout. Wow. So, and I'm, I'm assuming that's changed very much. <laughs> yeah, no, they've gone. It, it isn't, it isn't just, it isn't just Schmitz. Obviously Mike Schmitz is somebody that you, I know he was one of the few people who had, uh, actually seen Shaden Sharp play in some of those, you know, high school games. And so he was one of the guys early on, yeah. like right after he took the job was one of the, one of the ones that was like pushing to like, Hey, this is the kid we need to draft. This kid has the most upside, but like, he also just, I don't know, he, he yeah, he's, he's certainly somebody that, like, if there's anybody who knows every single player at every single one of these things and has known them and had relationships with them since they were, like, 12 or whatever, and he's scouting all of these, you know, under-18, you know, NBA Africa camps or whatever, like, he, that's, right. that's certainly a guy. But, yeah, they have, they have really, ever since, since the front office change that, took place when Neil Olshay was fired. They have pretty much revamped the entire organization on that. And I mean, the other part of it, and this is a pretty basic thing, but it's something that the previous regime was actually actively against, but that now they have started doing is they, for the first time this year, they have a G league team, which is right. Yeah. (laughs) Has been very, it's been very useful because like uh like one of the one of their rookies uh one of their their second round pick this year Rayon Rupert who's a French kid who played for the New Zealand Breakers mm-hmm. last year he's not ready to play in the NBA but they really like him and he's been playing 30 minutes a night in the G League and you've seen him get a lot better and get right. a lot more comfortable playing in the G League and then even some of the guys that have like Duop Reith who we talked about uh he played in their first ever game with the Rip City remix and he had like 37 and 10. And then the next night he was the Blazers backup center. And uh, now he's in the rotation. And then like, uh, you know, Chris Murray, who was their other first round pick. He was the 23rd pick. Keegan Murray's brother hasn't really been in the rotation early on when Chauncey Mm -hmm. put him in. He looked like he didn't really know what he was doing, but he's another guy who, since he's not playing for the Blazers, he's been playing in the G League, and then since he started playing in the G League, when Chauncey has had to put him in, he's looked a lot more comfortable. So I think 
part of it is, you know, so, yeah, yes, certainly the people that they brought in on the front office side, like Schmitz, who you mentioned, there are others too who are who have been uh, instrumental in this uh, as well. But also just doing basic stuff that the previous front office regime didn't do, like have a G League team and use it, has been, I think, a big part of it also. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good point you bring up, Sean, in terms of uh, the G League team. And also, I love the name Remix. That's a that's a really good They just name, have destroyed uh, the, the branding and the... I have like I've I've had so many people like like yesterday Bill Walton uh posted a picture of himself wearing a Rip City remix. I shirt saw that. They, yeah. they have like a version of it that's like a psychedelic thing, so it's obviously like totally on brand for Bill Walton to yeah. wear. And like I retweeted it, and then I had like I had friends who are I had one I'm not gonna just like say his name and blow up his spot, but I have one uh major national NBA media figure text me and being like, "Can you get me that remix shirt? I need that." <laughs> <laughs> like like that stuff and the other thing like i've been i've been going to their games pretty often both because as a reporter it gives me something to do when the team is on the road and like you know it, it, it gets me like right. more of a chance to look at some of their young guys or their you know they, they you know get to know some of like their you know assistant you know front office people or coaching staff some of the lower level people in the organization who are always at those games so it's been useful to me but it's also just been like a fun vibe like and like they've leaned hard in. i don't every, every i guess every city and every market that has you know the g league it does does it a little differently some teams play at like just high school gyms and like don't make it into like a big public thing at all the blazers have leaned all the way into like this being like a family friendly entertainment like kids tickets are five dollars you can bring your own food in or, like, like all all of this stuff they try to make it into like that's family. amazing or like and like and like you know fans like the players will like hang around and take pictures with fans after the games and stuff like they've made from a business side the organization has made it into like this family friendly community thing but also just from a basketball side like it's right. been very beneficial to them already they've, they've, they've had less than half a season of the g league and you're already seeing what the benefits are for the organization and for their development yeah no that's awesome that's awesome okay uh lauren it is your favorite time of the year uh the favorite yes. time of the week and that is trade scenarios uh the blazers are going to be obviously active when it comes to some of the guys that we've already talked about um but in general I guess we can get started. Uh, Lauren, yeah. go for it. Do you think? Yeah. So I guess I, I kind of want to start with some questions because there's so many directions that Portland could potentially go in terms of who they look to move. You mentioned Malcolm Brogdon earlier, but also mm -hmm. like, I'm curious how, how crazy are they willing to get? Like, is there a chance that they move Jeremy Grant now? Is there a chance that even Aiton becomes available? It sounds like based on our conversation, the answer is no there, but I, I want to kind of get your opinion on, who, who, even someone like Matisse, like who all is truly available and what areas in terms of, obviously they're, they're in a stage of, of roster development, but in terms of bringing guys back, what position, what prototype do you think that they'd be looking for? So I am unlike you. This is my least favorite time of year. <laughs> maybe it's just because I spent the whole, maybe it's just because I spent the whole summer dealing with the Dame stuff they like they don't want the whole they, they don't want the entire they don't want to just sell off every like there's the, like there's this idea and I feel like as a you know NBA media we've all kind of done a bad job of the way we talk about this stuff where like it's this binary thing where any team that's rebuilding hey they have a player who's good who's over the age of 25 they need to just trade him and get more draft picks and it's like right. it's not right. always like I just I just talked about how important Malcolm Brogdon has been to have around for Scoot 
Do I think it's possible that right. they move him before the deadline? If they get an offer that they like, certainly. But he has a year left. Like, like I think like, la- like going into last year's deadline, everybody knew that they were going to trade mm-hmm. Josh Hart because he was coming up on free agency. Right. They weren't going to re-sign him for the money that he wanted. So they had to trade him to, before they lost it for nothing. Brogdon has a year left on his deal. So I feel like unless he gets right. injured, which right. I mean, with him, it's a possibility they, you know, because he has an injury <laughs> mm-hmm. history. So he could, he could get hurt, but any deal yeah. I think that's there for him at the deadline is probably still going to be there this summer. So they could go either direction mm-hmm. on that one. I actually think the guy to keep Jeremy Grant, I really don't think is, is going to be that mm-hmm. much. Not that he's untouchable because I think Scoot and Shaden are the only real right. like, truly like untouchable guys, but I really, I, I get it. Like I've seen all the national podcasts and all the national columns and whatever are talking about like doing their lists of like the top trade candidates for contenders. And Jeremy Grant's name always comes <laughs> right. up on that list, but I really yeah. would be surprised if he's moved to the deadline. I think from an organization, yeah. like they love him. Like they, he's a great locker room guy. They also like, he's happy. He wants to be in Portland. He likes the city and the organization. Like, I, and the other the other thing about him is like with Brogdon, you understand why there's a thought that they move him because they have so many guards they're building around. Jeremy Grant isn't really blocking anybody as far as getting minutes, right? Like he like yeah. so right. I think I think it's I think it's pretty unlikely that Jeremy Grant gets moved before the deadline. Brogdon, I could go either way on. I see. I think I could see a scenario where they yeah. do. I could also see a scenario where they maybe wait until the summer on him, but. Uh, Matisse Thibel is actually the most interesting one to me because he is the type of guy and they, and don't get me wrong. They love him. They would be happy to keep him around, but yeah, he a is the type of guy that is more valuable to good teams than is, than he is to teams in Portland's position. And he's also on a right. mid-level base, basically a mid-level deal because he signed that three-year, $33 million offer sheet with Dallas that they matched. So it's pretty reasonable money. So it's mm-hmm. less money that a contending team would have to match. Like you, like with Jeremy Grant, you know, he's making like 26, 27 this year. So you're putting him on the Lakers or whatever. And it's like, oh, it's the D'Angelo Russell. And you know, it's like, what the hell do the Blazers want D'Angelo <laughs> Russell for? That doesn't fit with what they're like. That, yeah, it's, exactly. It's... It, it's it's with Matisse Thibel, it's it's less money to match. He doesn't have the injury history. He's younger. He, I think, is just a good three point shooter now. I think a lot of that was just yeah. And he's away shoot, from, that's what I was going to bring up. He's shooting the ball well, thirty nine percent on like well, four well, put it, that's we'll, good. We'll, yeah, we'll put it we'll put it this way. He was actually a decent three point shooter his rookie season in Philadelphia. Not not like great, but he was like thirty five percent or something. You know, something respectable. And then from his second year on, he shot terribly and also didn't shoot. And then he gets to Portland. Yeah, they barely let him shoot. And yeah. suddenly he can shoot mm-hmm. again and is willing to shoot again. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the what the what the mitigating factor there was between his second season. <laughs> I don't know whether there was a coaching change that was made that maybe affected some things, but I don't I don't know. But I think the point the point being that uh that He's had over half a season's worth of games in Portland now between the end of last season and the start of this season. And he's shooting, mm-hmm. I don't know what, what, what his updated percentage was, but when I looked a few days ago, it was over 40% on like four attempts per game. So it's like, okay, maybe this is just legit yeah. now. So that, the point being, that's a right. guy, and that's also what he does defensively. That's the type of guy on the type of contract that contending teams are going to be interested in. 
and that they could get some real yeah. off. So, so I, I think that's I think that's somebody. If I had to rank as far as like their veterans, like who is most to least likely to get moved before the deadline, I would say probably Thibel one, Brogdon two, Grant three. I really don't think Grant's going to be moved before the deadline, or even or maybe even not in the summer. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm actually curious where you stand on Simons then, because like he's not necessarily a veteran. I don't think you could call him a veteran, but he is obviously a guard, and maybe not the guard that you're picking between Shade and Scoop. Scoot and and Simons, do you think they would entertain offers on Anthony Simons this at the deadline? Not right now. Down the line, no? maybe. Okay, right fair. now, no. Fair. He's their he's the, he's been their best he's their best player now that he's healthy. He's their best player, and right. he's their he's you know yeah. Scoot as we talked about Scoot and Shaden are not ready for the being like the full you know the, you need to have somebody in the backcourt who is a scoring threat and is somebody that te- that other teams double team and, you know, and send guys at like, right. That's what, I mean, wherever you want to land on him at, you know, long-term or like, like what his ceiling is, that's what he is right now. And d- having somebody like that around is going to make things a lot easier for Scoot and Shane. I think, I think in like a year and a half, they'll have to make a decision about which of those guys they want to keep, but they're, I, that's not something I think they're, they're looking at right now. Yeah, that, and that's fair. I think what's so fascinating to me about Portland right now is that a lot of these guys, like even though the timing might not be right to trade them, guys like obviously Matisse, but also Simons and Jeremy Grant, I think that there are a lot of teams that could really, really use a guy like that and would find a way to put the right package together where the price would be high enough to maybe make it worth Portland's time to even hear. And so that's what interests me so much right now at this next trade deadline because there aren't many teams that are big times that are could could be big time sellers that also have really really solid players that can be on a contender that present upside like those those situations are few and far between but it sounds like portland is a lot more content with where they're at from in the short term and in the long term than maybe most people realize from the outside I don't think they're going to do nothing. I think at least one of those guys is going to be moved, but I don't think it's going to okay. be it's I don't think it's going to be like at the 2022 deadline where it's like got to get CJ out of there, got to get Norm Powell out of there, got to get Robert Covington. Like I I don't think it's going to be that type of situation where they're just selling off everybody. For sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, that Good makes sense. That know. makes sense. Um okay. Before we head out of here, before we we you know, say our goodbyes, internet connections be damned. Sean, anything <laughs> you want to plug anything you want to mention before we get out of here. Yeah. You know, just go to rosegardenreport.com. It's a Substack newsletter covering the Portland trailblazers. I'm, uh, I just go sign up. I would encourage you if you're, I mean, everybody has things they're doing that cost money that people, you know, I, I, I hate to always be the, Hey, you should give me money for this or that. But I think <laughs> that what I do if you're interested in reading about the Portland trailblazers from somebody who's covered the organization for a long time and has, you know, knows kind of the inner workings and, you know, the, the people in the organization and all that kind of stuff. I feel that what I do is worth your, I, if if you subscribe, you're not going to feel like, Oh, I'm not getting my money's worth. This is, this is, this isn't worth it. So I would just, I would just encourage people to, uh, to go sign up and subscribe. 
I would too. I agree. Um, again, I, I think I signed up this summer at some point when it came mm-hmm. to the the Dame saga, just because I was I was all in. Uh, it's always on, really on interesting to see front. when. It's always really interesting to see when. That's right. Yeah. The, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how serious the Raptors stuff was, but because I don't know how serious anything ever yeah. is with with Masai, but they they did talk. They were in the mix. <laughs> Fair. But but yeah, yeah I mean, it, yeah, it is no, always interesting a, to there's see. There's been a when. couple moments, man. Yeah. I mean, they 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 talked about OG at the twenty two draft, too. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. There's been a couple moments between the Blazers and the Raptors where it's like, huh? No, 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 no. It's not gonna happen. So, yeah. Oh, man. Um. Okay. Anyways, Sean, thank you so much for for joining us here on the Objective Basketball Podcast. Always a pleasure. Great to talk to you about Blazers basketball. Um, I'm very excited to see how it looks next year. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hopefully we get you on there beforehand, get you on here again beforehand. But um, very excited to see how how Scoot turns out, how everybody else turns out, Shaden as well. Um, Okay, from Lauren, from myself. Thank you very much for tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast. As always, do the rating and subscribing and things you guys usually do. And we will see you guys later. Take care. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at The Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.